Welcome back to Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined once again by Colin Haas Hill, and we're going to talk a lot about the Ohio State defense today, and we're going to talk a lot about uh, the coaching staff and some of the coaching changes that uh, have been made at Ohio State because uh, we did get news last week that Matt Barnes was going to become the secondary coach, that Kerry Combs is now going to be focusing primarily on his coordinating duties, though you know he'll still be working with the defensive backs, and that Parker Fleming has been promoted to special teams coordinator, taking the place of Greg Madison on Ohio State's staff of full-time coaches. Uh, we're also going to bring on Kyle Jones here shortly, and we're going to talk to him a lot about uh, what he saw that went wrong with the Ohio State defense in 2020 and you know even some things that he noticed uh, before 2020 that he thinks kind of led to the issues this past year. So uh, that'll be a really interesting conversation, and we'll get to that in just a little bit. But did want to talk first uh, about those coaching staff changes, uh, the decisions uh, to promote Matt Barnes and Parker Fleming. Now that it's been almost a week, Colin, and now that we've had some time to digest it, how do you feel about those moves that Ryan Day made? I don't know that I feel a lot differently than I did a week ago, to be honest, when they were just rumors, which is, you know, I sort of understand why he's doing this. You know, it feels to me like, you know, what he said is is true, and that's that that he he views continuity on his staff to be maybe not the number one thing, but, but one of the, one of the most important aspects to, to what Ryan day wants in a coaching staff. And, and I understand that at the same time, the chips are all pushed in. The chips are all pushed in on Kerry Combs. And I think that that's a fascinating decision to make. It's a totally understandable decision to make in my mind. And it's definitely defensible. And he defended it himself. You know, if you look at the 20, the, the 2020 season, like, you're dealing with COVID-19. Um, you're also dealing with the fact that, you know, there are certain injuries or even like Amir Reap and Jocelyn Wint you thought you might have and, and, and you didn't have them. And, and there's there's all kinds of stuff like that. It was a shortened season. There's, there's one practice padded before the national championship that I understand the decision. And at the same time, it's still bold. To me, it's still bold, even, if, even when you put all those factors in there. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's no doubt that, uh, he is showing his faith in Kerry Combs right now uh, that he believes Kerry Combs is going to be able to get the defense back on track and get the job done. And, you know, I, I do, I do think the conversation about uh, the COVID-19 and how that affected this past year, I, I do think that's valid. I think, you know, Kyle Jones is going to talk a little bit about that uh, as well, you know, from what he saw based on the defense, because I think that really did, you know, I think what, you know, really had a big impact was, you know, those three months it, last offseason where Ohio State players just weren't even on campus. And I remember, I think I think I asked Kerry Combs about that at some point when they were all in, in quarantine or whatever, uh, just about, you know, how it was affecting the way he was installing his defense. And I think even then he said, I'm not going to try to install a lot of stuff while the players aren't here. So I think that tells you right there that, he was not able to do all the things that he wanted to be able to do schematically in 2020. And, you know, we don't know what those things are, but, you know, now going into 2021, you know, like we talked about last week, now he's got to make it work. If, if you're going to trust him to be 
that sole defensive coordinator, if you're going to trust him to be the guy to lead the defense when you're losing an experienced coach like Greg Madison, then it falls on his shoulders to get the defense back on track. You know, I think in, in Ryan Day's mind, Kerry Combs is still the right guy for the job and he believes in him. And I think, you know, beyond that, I think it's clear that Ryan Day really values continuity. He, he really wants to hire coaches who he thinks are going to be at Ohio State for the long haul. And he also wants to create a culture of promoting from within, which is what he's done here with you know Matt Barnes and Parker Fleming. Now, I guess the question is, is that the right move for Ryan Day to make? Because I can look at it both ways. I think there is definitely value in that. I think there's absolutely value and continuity. I think there's absolutely value in, in developing young coaches. And I think you know, there's a lot of benefits to that too. Or I think if you're creating an environment where, you know, y- you're going to develop young coaches and those guys are going to get rewarded uh, for, you know, doing the right things, even if it's in behind the scenes roles, I think that's going to make more young coaches going to, going to want to come and be a part of your program. But at the same time, you're Ohio state. I think if you are, Ohio State's head coach, and you are leading a program that's supposed to be competing for national championships every single year, then you have a responsibility to make sure you have one of the best coaching staffs in the country. And I think that's the the one question I have here is if if you're losing a guy like a Greg Madison and you're replacing him with coaches who are far less experienced, are you taking the risk that you're no longer going to have one of the best coaching staffs in the country? I'm not, I'm not saying I think that's what's happening here. Just saying that I, I, I do think you have to be careful. You don't want to be so focused on continuity that maybe you miss out on the opportunity to go get someone who's better. Yeah. It, it feels a lot like they want to be, take the Clemson model, which is hire a lot of guys from within and keep them for half a decade, a decade. I don't know what, what, how Dabo does it, but he has managed to keep his staff together for a remarkable um, amount of time. And, and that's where it feels like, like I get why Ryan day wants to do that. You're essentially trying to be the complete outlier in the sport. Like nobody keeps coaches the way that Clemson keeps coaches. And to try and do that is to try to do something that only one other program in the country is doing. And that's the tough thing uh, when you're doing that. And it also goes back to, you know, we can mention it, like there are rumors out there that, uh, or not even rumors, reports that that Tennessee has offered Al Washington the defensive coordinator job. And I think when you hire Al Washington, you do it with the idea that maybe he's at Ohio State for a couple of years as a linebackers coach. He could look to, you know, potentially be a co-coordinator and then maybe defensive coordinator over the next half decade or so. And you and, and you imagine that, you know, this is this is the way that Ohio State wants to build their staff. And I think this is an interesting fork in the road where if if Al Washington were to take this job and and to be clear, like the reports are that it would come with a pay raise of him going from five hundred thousand to $1.5 million, which is a pretty drastic difference. So it would be completely understandable if he took it. But I think it, it, it speaks to the fact that this is hard. Like it is really hard if you want to go down the road of promoting from within a, a great deal of the time. And then, you know, you might have a guy who's in a situation where it's like, 
you can keep him, but you probably can't match what the other team's gonna gonna offer him, both in terms of in terms of what you're paying him and in terms of job responsibility. I think that that's the tough thing, or one of the tough things about this. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't want to talk too much about Al Washington here right now because mm-hmm. it is Tuesday night. Uh, whether whether things have changed by the time this podcast is released or not, I think you know one way or another there's going to be news there on that front at some point here. Uh, in the next couple of days. So I don't want to say a lot of things that are then going to yeah, be probably in the hour after we record this. Yeah. I mean, things could change at any moment here with that. You know, I don't think that's something that's going to drag on for a long time. So uh, we could talk more about however that go plays out next week. But, you know, I, I do think like, you know, one of the things I was thinking about in terms of thinking about the promotions, you know, when those, you know, reports started to leak out on Sunday was, you know, if, if Al Washington leaves, I think that makes the decision to promote them potentially more questionable because now you're going to have even less experience on your coaching staff. And I think it really makes it important, you know, if you lose a guy who, who has experience, you know, I don't think you can promote from within again if, if that's what happens. I think you have to go out and get somebody. But, I you know, I, I do, you know, wonder there that, okay, you already – you had one opportunity where maybe you go and you you go get a co-defensive coordinator and you go bring somebody in um, who's got some more experience to the staff. And if you do that, then maybe you leave yourself in a better spot if somebody leaves now. Now, you know, again, I don't want to go too deep into the woods because my feeling is if Al Washington stays at Ohio State, it's certainly going to come with a significant raise and it might come with a co-defensive coordinator title, which if you had just given that to somebody, maybe that doesn't work out. So I think, I think you could go either way on that, but you know, I, I I do think I'll say this just in regards to the promotions. You know, I think Matt Barnes is, he's one of those guys that it's kind of like, we still don't know exactly what kind of impact he's had on Ohio state right now. Um, You know, he's been here two years, you know, he's been the special teams coach, but, He's also, you know, he's kind of been second fiddle to Jeff Halfley in the secondary, and he's second fiddle to Kerry Combs in the secondary. So I don't think we've really got to see him make his mark on Ohio State yet. I do know that he's highly regarded by a lot of people uh, within the program. You know, and I, all the times I've heard him speak, uh, he is somebody who strikes me as a very smart football coach who knows a lot about defense. So, you know, I, I think, you know, promoting him isn't something that comes as a surprise to me. Um, you know, and I think he's somebody who, again, he's a guy who could be at Ohio state for the long haul. And I I think he's a good young coach. So, you know, I don't, you know, specifically in regards to that, I don't have a a negative view and, you know, same for Parker Fleming and everything I've heard, I've, I've talked to a lot of people over the past week about Parker Fleming and, you know, you hear nothing but good things about him. You know, everybody says he's really smart, you know, another guy who's a young up and coming coach who, you know, he's been around for a few years and, you know, is really connected well with the players um, and is somebody who, you know, they think, you know, is really a, a schematic genius. So, yeah, I think both of those guys are good young coaches and, and both of them can make a positive impact on Ohio State in their new roles. I, I just think the, the question is when you're already having issues on defense to not bring in somebody new, to not bring in somebody who maybe could bring some new ideas or maybe has some more coordinating experience or schematic experience. 
you know, I do think that you're taking a little bit of a risk here betting on Kerry Combs as much as you are. I think they're also teetering on the edge of like, if they were to promote from within one more time, I would say they have gone certainly gone too far. It feels like they're, they're right up on that line. Like if you look at, if you look at what they've done, like Corey Dennis, if you promote him, uh, you're essentially promoting him to be assistant quarterbacks coach because Ryan Day is still in the building. Um, when you are promoting Parker Fleming, you're promoting him to coach special teams. And and I think I think those are two areas where it's understandable that you bring somebody in like them and, and you want them to essentially develop as coaches while also developing the players. Um, and I, I do think that's understandable. It also allows you to you know, pay the other assistants maybe more than, than you would have been able to if you if you brought in someone else with a bigger name. So that to me is understandable. The question is where they would go um, if someone else, like like in now Washington, or, or, or if there was a scenario, which like it hasn't even been remotely rumored, but if say like Brian Hotline were to leave, like would you go outside and try and find the best wide receiver coach in the country or would you promote someone like Keenan Bailey um, who, who's been around? Like that would be a fascinating decision. Um, and I would like – I don't want Ohio State fans to be in the position of of, uh, of wondering about that, and I don't think that 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 you will have to be. But at the same time, like that's a, that's a situation where it would be really interesting to see what Ryan Day would do, and and you know we've seen him hire from the outside, and he's got a like he's got a little bit. Um, further outside. Like I think Matt Barnes was not a guy who was on a lot of our radars before, um, before we, before he got hired at Ohio state, but at the same time, like Kerry Combs has been at Ohio state. Um, obviously Greg Mattis had plenty of ties to, to he and urban Meyer. Um, I think watching the way that Ryan days hires develop over the years. I mean, one, it tells a lot about what the program is going to do and, and how they're how the level of player that Ohio state's able to bring in. Um, but two, I, I just don't totally know what to expect. It feels like right now on the margins, on, on the kind of guys where you can almost cover them up a little bit, whether it be special teams or, or assistant quarterbacks, coach, he's willing to hire from within. But how much of that is he going to do at, at maybe some of the bigger name, um, if they were to lose some of the bigger name assistants, uh, Kevin Wilson, um, someone like that? I, I, I don't really have a great vibe on that yet. Well, for all these questions about you know the defense and the coaching staff, I think we can bring on our guy, Kyle Jones, now, because Kyle, you know, as you know, he's been on this podcast before. I'm sure a lot of you read his work on 11 Warriors. Uh, he's you know extremely smart guy, and we've wanted to have him on, you know, really since the season ended uh, to talk about uh, the defensive scheme and to talk about, you know, some of the things uh, that both he saw that went wrong this last season and that he thinks can get better. Uh, going into next year's. All right, Kyle, we wanted to have you on ever since the end of a season, really, to talk about the defense, because I think uh, all of us could see that Ohio State's defense did not play up to its standard this year, but I don't think all of us know necessarily exactly the, the schematic reasons why Ohio State's defense struggled so much. And from your perspective, after watching all the film this year, just what are the biggest things that you saw as to why this Ohio State defensive scheme did not work the way it was supposed to. Yeah, it's a it's a great question, and I think the reality is, is it came down to predictability. Um, this was a unit that, or I'm sorry, it was a system that is really designed to be straightforward and allow the players to play fast and take advantage of very specific skill sets. Right, that this team has recruited for before Ryan Day took over, before he ever wanted this single high system put in. You know, this is going back to 
uh, Urban Meyer, Greg Schiano, looking for those stud edge rushers who can create pressure by you know sending forward. We're, we're recording this the day after the Super Bowl, and I think anyone saw last night how important it is when you can just get pressure with four guys. What a difference that makes, no matter how good the opposing quarterback is. Um, you know that's what Ohio State's been trying to do, and that worked for most of last year. Um, you know Chase Young and those guys—they created absolute havoc for the vast majority of last season. And that, you know, then on the outside, you had two first-round corners. You had Sean Wade playing in the slot. You have a very good free safety, you know, probably criminally underrated free safety in Jordan Fuller, who's obviously stepped onto an NFL NFL field and looks the part from day one. Um, you know, and he's he's patrolling the middle. And so you've got this super talented core and this, you know, that you can really build this system around and the wrinkles become pretty simple. Um, if you can be that good in your base defense, eventually there are going to be opponents. And we saw this a little bit at the end of the season with Penn state and even Michigan had some success against that defense, which everyone kind of forgets about now because that game feels a million years ago, but you know, Michigan put up 285 yards. I believe it was in the first half with the Josh Gaddis RPO offense. And that offense is very similar to a lot of things Clemson did. And Clemson, you know, pulled a lot of those plays into a lot of those concepts into that uh, Fiesta Bowl victory. That was such a great game. Um, Unfortunately, didn't go the the Buckeyes way. But, um, you know, it created a few, you know, seams within that system. And with an entire offseason, even a longer offseason that we had longer than normal, all those opposing coaches were able to look at that and go, okay, we can tell what are the easiest ways to pick this apart. All right. You can use RPOs. You can hit the seams. You can put those overhang players, the, the outside linebacker spot that Pete Werner held the, the nickel spot that Sean Wade held the year before. Now that was Baron Browning and Marcus Williamson. They, you know, they moved some of the pieces around, but those same responsibilities, those ways we can put those guys in conflict. And we know how we can attack the seams because we know those cornerbacks, they're going to play with outside leverage, meaning they're going to try to turn any receiver back towards the middle, towards that free safety. So if we know what they're going to do, we can design an offense. But the offenses are just too good in this day and age for a defense to just say, this is who we are. There's an answer for everything. And I think the plan had always been, in my assumption, to let Kerry Combs incorporate some wrinkles. Things that he learned from the Titans, things, you know, this is a guy who's coached football for a million years. He's obviously done more than just sit and cover three. Even at Ohio State, he's done a lot more than just sit and cover three. Um, and I think the goal had always been let him incorporate some wrinkles in there, change things up. So it just doesn't feel so vanilla and it's the same thing over and over again. And, you know, it was evident pretty early on that this was a team that just never got the chance to incorporate those things. Um, you know, I think COVID really, put a hamper on what they could teach. And, and in my estimation, you know, obviously I wasn't in the room. None of us were, but my guess has got to be that they just, they felt like we we know we can do these two things. We know we can play cover three. We know we can play cover one. These guys that are here, a lot of them came back from the year before. They know how they're supposed to get lined up. And frankly, against 98, 99% of teams, Ohio state plays, they're just more talented and that talent eventually is going to win out especially when you got an offense like the one they had with Justin Fields just getting a shootout and who cares there's a good chance Ohio State's going to win anyway and that approach got them to the national title game I mean frankly it worked uh you know the Clemson game this year 
you know, Clemson still had a bunch of RPOs. They were still, you know, Trevor Lawrence still had 400 yards passing, but no one noticed because Ohio State won by three touchdowns. And Justin Fields was was incredible. And so I think the seams have always been there. We just didn't focus on them because there was so much else happening. There was, frankly, a lot of good things to focus on. It was look at this quarterback. Look how good Chase Young is. Look at these first-round corners. And, you know, a random second quarter pop pass to the tight end, you know, with Pete Werner sitting on his heels, didn't catch our attention. But that's the kind of thing that opposing coaches will do. And against good opposing opposing coaches like a Steve Sarkeesian, he's going to bleed you to death on those things. He's going to find your seam and he's going to make it hurt all night long. So it sounds like you don't necessarily think it was so much of Jeff Halfley's gone, Kerry Combs is in, this is why things went wrong. It's just that they didn't make the improvements they needed to make on that scheme from 2019 to 2020. Correct. And I, I think even the the Jeff Halfley scheme, you saw it a few times. There were, a few, there were some games, the Penn State game um, in 2019, there were some change-ups. They played a lot more too high. They had Sean Wade playing safety. They had, uh, you know, like true a true safety. Uh, they they showed a bunch of different things. They were showing nickel and dime looks. They were they were really mixing it up a little bit in the way that you were supposed to. When an opposing opposing offense starts hitting you a couple times with the same concept and they're attacking the same spot in your defense, you just have to mix it up. It doesn't mean you have to have the full Madden playbook and you can run. You know, you're running cover two, cover three, cover four, cover six. You know, you every let's just try and roll everything out there. You don't have to do that. It just means you have to have those change ups. Um, you know the the comparison I made was to a baseball pitcher. You know, I talked about Nolan Ryan in my piece a couple weeks ago, the greatest fastball pitcher threw a million fastballs over his career. But the only reason he struck out so many guys was because he had a great changeup and a great curveball. Now he only threw those pitches about a third of the time, meaning two thirds of the time you're getting the four seam fastball and it's just up to you to get to time it up. But it's a lot harder to time it up when you know a changeup's coming or could be coming or a curveball could be coming. And that's what this Ohio State defense missed this year. What was that curveball? What was that off-speed pitch that just made the offense go, well, I think this will work, but if they do that other thing, we are screwed. And Ohio State just never had that other thing, and that was the problem. Now, there could be a million reasons why not. COVID, obviously, again, I, I know that's going to be – some fans will think that's an excuse, but it's a reality. There were, you know, There was one padded practice that they had between the Clemson game and the Alabama game, and it showed – the defensive game plan for Clemson was far more diverse, far more robust. They showed way more in that game plan. The Alabama game looked like they just said, all right, here's the stuff we know we can run in our sleep. Whether we practice it or not, we know this group can run this stuff. So let's just line up and try to win the game. And Alabama wasn't doing that. Alabama was coming and going, we know where the seams are. We're going to hit you. Ryan Day has this thing where, you know, Whenever something goes wrong, he always says it's he either evaluates in scheme, it's coaching, or it's personnel. And I think it's a great thing for a coach to say, but it's also not a great thing to say in the media because he'll never admit if it's personnel, which he didn't admit after he said, you know, he thought personnel was fine. It was coaching and scheme, which like I'm sure there are there's something to that. But in in your evaluation, like how much of it was just the fact that they lost so many guys from that pat the, the past season's defense and you know. I don't really know that that people really uh, like the idea of, you know, Marcus Williamson being so integral to this game plan or, you know, you had Pete Werner playing a different spot and, and that was a little bit different this year. Um, in terms of personnel, what did you think of 
of this past season? Well, I, yeah, I think the question was not can Marcus Williamson or, or Sean Wade or Pete Ward or any of these guys that were picked on, um, are they good enough to play at Ohio State? Like, that's not a question we should be asking because the reality is yes. Mm-hmm. The question that we should be asking is, is are Sean Wade and Marcus Williamson and, and Pete Werner able to play the positions that they're being asked to play, which were played by other people a year prior? Can Marcus Williamson be that slot, that nickel guy who can also play the, you know, set the edge against the run, can blitz, can play in the box, can cover a tight end the way that Sean Wade could. Sean Wade was great in that role the year before. Was Marcus Williamson up to being that player and being able to use? Was his, his does his skill set match that? Um, the same way with Wade going out and being Jeff Okuda. Those are very different players. And it was never, you know, it's not Sean Wade's fault that he's not a clone of Jeff Okuda. He's Sean Wade. And I think the failure when you look at it is that's where you start to say it is about scheme because you're, you you can look at it and say, here are the pieces we've got. And this is what high school coaches do every single year. And this is what makes high school coaches so great is they've got to look at the hand that's dealt to them and say, how do I make this work? And I think what was so frustrating to anyone who was really paying close attention to Ohio State's defense this year is because you looked at it and you went, for whatever reason, it feels like they're not recognizing the hand that they're dealt and they're just trying to play it like they got the same cards as the year before. And they're pretending that Sean Wade and Seven Banks are Damon Arnett and Jeff Okuda. And that's not fair to any of them. You know, it's not fair to say to Marcus Hooker or Josh Proctor that they're the same player as Jordan Fuller. Um, you know, I think Josh Proctor would be a great safety if he's in a, you know, in kind of a hybrid role where he's playing in a two deep, but he's also creeping in the box where you don't know if, jo- where if you don't know where Josh Proctor is going to be. He can cause a lot of problems. He's got a great skill set. If you know where Josh Proctor is going to be, it's easy to remove him from the game. And I think that's the kind of, that's the issue that you look at with the personnel that was here. It doesn't mean it's wrong or that it's bad or that there's anything wrong with those kids. It just means they probably weren't used the way they were supposed to be for whatever reason. And that's where I think the, the problems came up. I just want to, I want to ask a, a straightforward question because it's like the number one thing that everybody asks, why should or shouldn't Kerry Combs have been fired? <laughs> <laughs> you might as well ask because that's what everybody wants to hear. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, look, throughout the season, I was leading that course and you, you guys probably, you know, remember me and our, our internal chats going, what, what is this? What's happening here? And some people getting, you know, being surprised when I'm calling out Kerry Combs, but I think I'm, I had, now I'm, now I'm swinging back the other way. And I, I think it's re- a reality of the practice, the lack of the spring practice absolutely killed any chance he had of adding something new, the modified figure it out on the fly, because the reality is the same thing happened for Ohio state's offense. We just didn't notice it as much. They ran back the same offense, right? And they were lucky as all hell that they found Trey Sermon could run that mid-zone concept just as well as, as J.K. Dobbins because that wasn't working too hot with Master Teague the first few, first few weeks. And I think we all know that had they had the time and they wanted Master to be the, 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 the number one back coming out of training camp, that run game probably looks way different. But I think you saw a decision on both sides of the ball from that staff to say, we've got a veteran team that returned. We've got a bunch of guys that know what they're doing last year. What we did last year certainly seemed to work pretty well. And a lot of those guys are back. We don't have time to install much new. 
let's just pick up with where we left off. And that's not how any coaching staff really ever wants to operate, but it's sometimes how you have to operate, right? Especially this year. We saw it at every level of football. We saw it in the NFL every week. We saw it in college. And unfortunately, that was the hand that Ohio State's coaches were dealt. So I think, you know, if you're giving Perry Combs a grade, you know, at first, a lot of people would have given him a D or an F because the pass defense was so bad. But I think the, rea- the, fi- the reality is it's probably more of an incomplete, you know. I don't think that you can grade him or judge his performance given the fact that he never had the chance to really coach his defense, to, to have a training camp, to have a spring with them, to have a normal practice week before a big game any week, to know who you're going to play half the time, right? Um, that was where I think like that's where I think that you have to give him another another shot. Um, or that's why I don't think he was fired was because I think Ryan Day is making that assumption that this isn't who he is. He didn't get the chance to show what kind of coach he is. So they're going to give him another chance. So the question now is what do Kerry Combs and the rest of his defensive staff need to do to get things back on track in 2021? Great question. Uh, there's a lot of things they can do. I think, you know, we could spend all day talking about everything that they could do. You know, what I've tried to think about is what they will do. Um, and I think if you look at what worked well for this team under Jeff Halfley, and then you apply it to what Kerry Combs saw in Tennessee. I think you're going to see first and foremost, the single high structure will remain the base. I think, I don't think that's going away. I think they're still going to see a free safety, probably Josh Proctor lined up in the middle of the field. That said, if they could put Josh Proctor into that, that um, slot role, essentially, either as the Sam linebacker, really, and, and you play a true four, two, five, um, and you get, you know, you have him and, and Williamson as your two uh, nickel slot guys. There's a lot of interesting things you can start to do with that. You've got more versatility versus having a true four, three, you know, personnel system. You need a free safety and you need a free safety you can trust. So whether that's um, Marcus Hooker, it's somebody else, still TBD. But I think from a schematic perspective, the biggest difference will be, I can see this team doing a lot more from a simulated pressure standpoint. And that's one of those hot buzzwords that within this, the coaching community, everyone's talking about. And what that means is essentially, I'm going to show you a whole bunch of blitzes. I'm going to bring six guys up and I'm going to mug the line. And you're going to say, okay, six guys are coming. What are they playing behind it? And then as soon as the ball is snapped, only four guys rush and there's still seven back there. It's kind of the old zone blitz principle that we saw from the Steelers for so many years. You never know who's coming. The difference is, you know, those Steelers zone blitzes, they were still down a man. You know, they were playing zone, so it was conservative. But those, under, you know, there were three deep safeties usually or two deep safeties. But the underneath zones were wide open if you could find them. If you knew and you could recognize where the blitz was coming from, chances were somebody's wide open, a tight end, a, a slot receiver, somebody's open underneath. And that's kind of why those, those old school blitzes have gone away. Now they've been replaced by – Hey, a system that Ohio State has shown from time to time. They showed it against Clemson on a few occasions. There was there was a snap, if you guys remember, that Josh Proctor just straight up dropped an interception in the second half. I mean, it hit him right in the hands. And that happened because Ohio State was in a 3-3 nickel package where they had uh, Baron Browning playing a defensive end. They had, you know, Togia and, and Garrett. And I want to say it was Tyreek or Jonathan Cooper, perhaps. Um, rushing, you had Pete Werner and Taraja Mitchell. Also, they're all they're all mugging the line. And as soon as 
Lawrence takes the snap, you can see, and this is Trevor Lawrence, a guy who always looks cool back. You can see he's a little rattled and going, wait, who's coming? His drops a little goofy His you know, his footwork doesn't look quite as clean and they get pressure. They get pressure on him, force him to move. And he throws an absolute duck, but behind it, Ohio state's playing their base cover three concept. It's old school, middle school, eighth grade cover three. It's just, they've messed around with where those guys lined up pre-snap and who dropped into what zone. And that alone created chaos. And I think you're going to see Ohio state do a lot more of that. You're going to see them play cover one and play cover three, these same base coverages that everyone on that defense knows how to do. They're just going to start them from a different spot. And they're going to mess with the defense to say, or mess with the offense to say, you don't know who's going where, and that's going to mess with you. And so I think that'll be the very first wrinkle we start to see, assuming that, you know, this, this defense gets um, a lot more, uh, more time to practice. And then I think you will see some more too deep. You'll see, you know, cover two, you'll see some man two, which they showed against Penn state. You might even see quarters with the, the Chris Ash defense, but those will be few and far between that might be game plan specific. That'll be something they roll out for, you know, quarters against Penn state works because of the quarterback run in the RPO. You know, we can get really specific, but I think the reality is, is this isn't going to be an overhaul by any means this off season. I think what you're going to see is Kerry Combs put his stamp on the existing system that Jeff Halfley brought in, which is going to be create some chaos, but behind it, it's, it's just the illusion of chaos. And in reality, there's still your same cover three that these guys have been running for two years. What do you think about the decision to promote Matt Barnes and to promote Parker Fleming rather than bringing in someone from the outside? I think it just, it speaks to that idea that they believe that this is the right approach and they didn't have the chance to actually employ it. I think it's, it's pretty clear that that Ryan Day believes in what they've been doing for a two for a couple of years since he took over as the head coach, and it's a vote of confidence. Which, you know, the vote of confidence when your AD says it about the head coach in Week Ten, not a great thing. But the vote of confidence in the off season when you've got a chance to go out, and this is Ohio State, they could have hired anybody, they could have gone after anybody they wanted, really, and probably got them. They could have gone after any hotshot position coach, any lower level, you know, if they wanted Marcus Freeman. They could have gotten Marcus Freeman. I think we can all be honest about that. Um, but this is, it's very clear that, that wasn't a priority. The priority was keep doing what you're doing. Give Kerry Combs the chance to run this defense and, and do the things that I got to imagine when he interviewed for the role last year, he said, this is what I would do and actually let him do it. That's the only plausible explanation. And then you've got a guy like Matt Barnes, who is really his lieutenant helped him with the secondary the last two years. He knows all the, all the coverages. He knows all the wrinkles that Jeff Halfley put in. You just have continuity there. And now he's able to spend more time because Parker Fleming's doing the special teams role. I know we have a couple questions. Um, the, I like this one from Bucks 15. Why the bleep did we run so much four, four this year when our D line dominated the line of scrimmage? <laughs> so, <laughs> It's a good question. I, I'm, I can't believe that I'm defending the 4-4 in the year 2021, but here I am. Um, you know, that was in many ways an eighth grade defense. But I think that also speaks to – so it speaks to a lot of things. One, the depth at linebacker. And they trusted – and it goes to the point of, of just relying on what we – you know, dance with the one who brung you. And when Ohio State didn't have a lot of chances to, to do something new, 
they relied on what worked. And for what worked on that defense last year was you had four linebackers who knew everything. They knew how to play every spot. They knew how to defend the pass. They knew how to, where they were supposed to be. You know, they all trusted each other. You had some good athletes, frankly, great athletes in Hilliard, Browning, and Werner. We're not going to talk about tough in this instance, but, <laughs> um, you know, you had three great athletes who could do a lot of things. And so, look, if you're going to line up and play a 4-4, especially then, then what that means is you're lining up and saying, we're going to plug every run gap. And yes, the defensive line was great, but if the opponents are coming out with two tight ends and a fullback, this all started in the Wisconsin game. That's really where this all came from. You remember the Wisconsin game, that rainy, rainy, nasty, I think it was on, on Halloween or October 30th. It was right at the end of October, the first Wisconsin game in 2019. And it, it was, you know, six to three at halftime or something, you know, rain buckets. But Wisconsin came out and played two tight ends and a fullback. And just said, we're going to be Wisconsin and pound you to death with Jonathan Taylor. Well, leaving Sean Wade in there to get beat up doesn't seem like a great idea. So let's replace him with, with Justin Hilliard. And if for whatever reason, one of those Wisconsin t- you know, tight ends takes off on a pass, we've got confidence that Justin Hilliard and Baron Browning can run with him or Pete Werner can run with him. That was a pretty safe bet, right? Like that's not a crazy thing to say. Well, that worked for a year and a half. Anytime that an opposing defense or an opposing offense went to double tight ends. They said, we've got two receivers out here and two big bodies at tight end. Well, Ohio state had two cornerbacks out there that could run with them in, in seven banks and, and uh, Sean Wade. And they said, if those tight ends can take off, we are pretty sure that Justin Hilliard and Baron Browning can run with them. And that was the bet they were making. And I think if you boil it down to that argument, well, then yeah, that's not a crazy thing to be in the, why would you be in a nickel package when they're putting out, you know, 250 pound tight ends to beat you up. This is what Ohio state did to deep Ohio state did that to other teams all year. They put Luke Farrell and Jeremy Ruckert and said, you're going to sit in nickel. Great. We're going to beat the snot out of you and run the ball down your throat. And that's what they did over and over and over and over again until teams switched out their personnel and went to bigger defenses. And so what Alabama did, that was really smart. And again, this is, Sark just watched everything Ohio State did for two years and said, oh, here's what they do. I'm going to use this against them. Sark, you know, Alabama had this package where they literally put in a sixth offensive lineman and dressed him up in a tight ends uniform. They gave him number 85. This is a 300-pound tackle. He's their swing tackle, their extra tackle, and they put him in a tight ends jersey, and they line him up at quote-unquote tight end, and they run the, and they hand the ball off to Najee Harris. Well, if you're Ohio State, I don't care if Devontae Devontae Smith's running past your corners on the outside. If you let that tight end go get his hands on Marcus Williamson, tight end in in finger quotes here, a 300-pound tight end gets to go block Marcus Williamson on the edge. What do you think is going to happen? Najee Harris is about to take off and run the ball down 60 yards down your throat. So it was really a lose-lose situation that I think fans understandably got upset about because they didn't like seeing Devontae Smith catch the ball every play. But – you know, it's a pick your poison thing that Ohio State had picked its poison pretty well for the last year and a half until Alabama used it against them. I'm going to get you out of here on a on a fun question from Ginnon Juice. He asked, if you could sit with any coach or player, living or deceased, to break down film and talk X's and O's, who would it be? Bill Belichick. Like, it, it's, it's – that man is – a walking encyclopedia. If anybody who really loves X's and O's wants to learn about 
why Bill Belichick is, is the greatest coach that ever coached. Uh, there's a great book that I love. David Halberstam wrote it. I want to say in the mid 2000s, right after probably like the second or third um, Patriots championship. And in it, he describes how Bill's childhood was spent sitting watching film with his dad. And I, I, I don't think people recognize Bill's dad literally invented football scouting, like, like invented it. Like the way, like we joke about like Alabama has all these analysts, which are former head coach, Charlie strong. And, you know, all these guys that, you know, Butch Jones that literally just, they act as scouts for Saban and his coaches. Well, when they're scouting and they're looking at opposing teams and saying, what do you do? How do you do it? How do we find those tendencies? All these things that Sark that we've just talked about that Sark just destroyed Ohio state's defense for the guy who basically started that practice was Steve Belichick in the fifties at the Naval Academy. And Bill would watch that with his dad. And so he spent his entire life watching film and trying to figure out what are they trying to do? Where are the weaknesses? How can we use that against him? And, you know, there's a great interview that I heard, you know, recently where Dean Pease, who is, you know, now I think unretired again, um, but, you know, he, uh, you know, he, he's at with the Falcons now, but he had been with the Titans. And before that he was the Ravens. And, and then he really got famous by being, um, one of the Patriots defensive coordinators in, in the 2000s. And he was asked, what's it like to coach defense for Bill Belichick? And, Bel- and Pease said, well, Belichick doesn't really, he never came to our defensive meetings. He'd come to one, you know, the week and sign off on the game plan and give us some notes, but he wasn't calling the plays. He wasn't doing that. He was sitting in the, you know, sitting in the film room with Tom Brady explaining that week's opposing defense and saying, when these safeties are doing this, it means they're going to do X. And he's explaining and teaching the game to Tom Brady which is why today Tom Brady is celebrating yet another Super Bowl because he's taken all that knowledge and applied it to the Buccaneers and do you know he's basically a coach on the field for the Bucs because he learned it all from Belichick. So if I could sit and just talk ball, I wouldn't talk. I would literally just listen to him, listen to Bill Belichick explain whatever tape, whether it's a middle school team or you know the Buccaneers. I just want him to talk and not. I won't say a word. That's all I want to do. Well, Kyle, we enjoy listening to you because you you make us smarter. Uh, you know a lot about football, and I know that all of our uh, listeners agree with that. So thank you so much for joining this week's Real Pod Wednesdays, and we'll definitely have you on again in the future. Thanks, guys. It's always fun to be here. And thanks again to Kyle for joining us on this week's Real Pod Wednesdays. I mean, it's like I said to him, I, I just feel like we always learn uh, so much about football when we talk to him. Yeah, there's nobody, there's nobody who I enjoy talking to more about this because we, in general, like, I think we, we, you know, we're in the same interview sessions. We're watching the same games. We're often sitting right beside each other. So I think it's fun to get someone's perspective like him who is watching it from just a different point of view than, than most people. And I thought it was really interesting what he said about, you know, some of the issues that, you know, were there at the end of 2019 and how he kind of thought, you know, those things, you know, trickled into 2020. Cause I think there's been, you know, so much focus on, oh, they lost Jeff Halfley and, and Kerry Combs isn't getting the job done. But, you know, just based on talking to Kyle, I think he thinks a lot of it is, you know, more stuff that had already been there, but it's not so much, you know, Kerry Combs came in and was suddenly running a worse defensive scheme. It was that Kerry Combs didn't have the opportunity to implement many new things in the scheme in 2020. And now the question is, is he going to be able to do that in 2021? 
Yeah, I mean that's that's the number one thing, and 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 to me this is, you know, this is the kind of this is the kind of season that makes or breaks the kid that Kerry Combs reign as as defensive coordinator as whether fair or unfair. I mean he he didn't live up to to what Ohio State needed last year, and and you know you have three returning starters in the back end of the defense this season. Um, sure, you have to replace all the linebackers, but you have talent um, at the position. You have talent up front. There's a lot of pieces to work with, um, and this this will be telling. We've got uh, some football questions from you guys, but I feel like we got to talk for a few minutes about this Ohio State basketball team again because uh, since our last podcast, we've seen two more big wins for Ohio State men's basketball. Uh, I mean, first off, on Thursday, on what I think we both agree was you the biggest game of the season to date for Ohio State, going and beating Iowa in a game that absolutely lived up to the hype. Uh, we thought it was going to be an offensive shootout. It was an offensive shootout. Ohio State uh, getting the victory on the road in Iowa City, uh, a huge win for the Buckeyes in a matchup of top eight teams. That moved Ohio State up from number seven in the polls to number four. And then on Monday, we saw Ohio State go and win – I. What, they won by only eight or nine points, but really it was a more convincing win than that, uh, than the final score even told. Ohio State uh, pretty much dominated uh, the entire second half, really, uh, against Maryland. Pretty much once they went on a run late in the first half and took a lead, Ohio State pretty much took complete control of that game. And Ohio State has now won five straight games, eight of its last nine. Chris Holtman's Buckeyes, they look like they're for real. Yeah, it's funny because like I was messaging you and, and Kevin Harris, um, our other coworker before the game, saying, I'm not gonna lie, I sort of want to pick this as a loss for Ohio State. It just feels like the kind of game after the after the Iowa game where um you're going on the road to to a Maryland team that, you know, it sure it's barely over five hundred, but if you look a little deeper into its record, like there was a reason why the spread was only 3.5 points that Ohio State was favored by. And it's that, you know, Maryland had knocked off Illinois. It had knocked off Wisconsin. And, you know, I picked Ohio State to win by one, I think. But in my head, I was like, I sort of think they might lose this. Um, and there was zero part of me during that game that really felt like, sure, it was an eight-point game. There's zero part of me that really felt like Ohio State had a chance of blowing it. So, yeah, as we sit here today, Ohio State's 16-4. and four. 10 and four within the big 10 Joe Lenardi has them as a one seed in the tournament. I, I, I feel like, I feel like I'm almost shocked, even though I was an optimist on this team of, of where they are and, and where they are in the country, because nobody's ever going to convince me that this is one of the five most talented teams in the country. I don't know that it's one of the 10 most talented teams in the country. I don't know that it's one of the 15 most talented teams in the country, but when you put all of the collective talent together, um, when you put, you know, we I, I've talked about this before. Chris Holtman's talked about it at length. Like this is a this is a team that's really bought in. Um, this is a team that has defined roles that you don't have players trying to do too much, and the pieces just fit. They just fit. We both agreed last week that we thought the Elite Eight was a realistic expectation for this team, but now, like, I feel like we got to start talking about Final Four. Yeah, I mean, I'm certainly not going to call it an expectation for this team because if you're looking at a team picked in the in the barely in the upper half of the Big Ten before the season. I don't think it would be fair to, to call that an expectation, but you can call it a possibility because there's no reason why 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 you shouldn't. Um I will say like my one caveat to that is it I don't think they're gonna be a one seed in the tournament, 
and that's largely because of what they have coming up. And if they are a one seed, like this team, this team's le- legit, legit. Um, they have six more regular season games. Indiana, Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State, Iowa, and Illinois. And if you're keeping track at home, that means they still have three games in the regular season against top five teams per Ken Palm. Um, and that's not even including the Big Ten tournament. So there is still a lot to learn about this team, a lot to figure out, and a lot for a, a lot to learn about how much better this team can get. I mean, that's been the number one thing about this group is they've just continued to get better and better and better and better. And we're going to see them at the end of the year because this is an absolute gauntlet that they're going to go through. Yeah, I'm not going to pick Ohio State to make the Final Four right now. I'm going to stick with that Elite Eight uh, projection. I would, I would say this. My confidence in them making the Final Four will depend on, you know, regardless of whether they're a one seed, two seed, whatever, is going to partially depend on whether they end up in a quadrant with Gonzaga or Baylor because it feels like everyone else in college basketball is – absolutely beatable for Ohio state. I don't know if those two teams are. Yep. And I don't know if it was, I don't remember if it was this show that I mentioned this on last week, but the interesting thing about this team to me is I have no idea what it's ceiling is. I think you're totally lying. If you, if you know what this team's ceiling is. And, and I said that, I said that before the Iowa game, I still feel that way. I mean, I guess we're going to see them against Michigan, Iowa, and Illinois down the stretch. And if they, I mean, if they run the table there, it's like, well, they're clearly one of the three best teams in college basketball. I am definitely not going to predict that right now as we sit here today. Uh, but I, I don't know. I mean, the only time they've really gotten housed this year was when they went to Minnesota. And Minnesota has some weird voodoo at their gym that, that makes it impossible for road teams to win. Saying that, what do you think is the biggest area in which this team still needs to improve to make a deep run in March? Um, I, th- you know, the number one thing to me is, you know, probably defensively. Um, I think that if if you just look at their metrics, um, you know, they're the fourth best offense in college basketball. They're the 65th best defense in college basketball. I don't have the this stuff pulled up right now. I, I had been looking at it a little bit earlier in the week. But if you were to go through the top 10 teams in Ken Palm for like the last decade, last two decades, however, however long it goes back, teams that had there, there are very few top 10 teams in Ken Palm that had a defense ranked 65th or below. And almost all of them were either you had a Bradley Beal on it. You had a Victor Oladipo. You had these NBA stars, which is like as great as EJ Liddell and Dwayne Washington are, that's not Bradley Beal and Victor Oladipo. Um, and, and that's that to me is is different about this Ohio State team um, than others. And, and I think that they play we, – we've seen them play better defensively a little bit lately. Um, but, I mean, some of that's due to the fact that it's not like Michigan State and, and Maryland are really running out there with, you know, high-powered offenses. And, you know, Iowa put up 85, um, Penn State at, at 79. There, there, there have been plenty – there's been plenty of scoring recently as well. So that to me is the number one area because this offense, this offense is legit. And we saw it strike. There were two times that Ohio State won in nine zero runs against Maryland, where it was like, "Uh oh, uh oh, Ohio State might be falling behind a little bit." And you blink an eye, and you know one of them was less than sixty seconds. They won on a nine zero run and took the lead back. And, and that to me is what makes this team special: is its offense. And it's just a matter of, um, you know, I think that the one area of improvement is a matter of how much better they can get collectively defensively. And they're not going to be a great defensive team. But they have to be a good defensive team is when the postseason comes around. All right, we've got some more questions from you guys. I do want to apologize. We, you, you guys had a lot of questions 
uh, for Kyle, you know, we could, we, Kyle, you know, we could only get him for about a half hour. Uh, so we just, were not going to be able to get, uh, to all the questions that, that you guys had for him, but we do appreciate, uh, you, you all submitting, uh, so many questions to us, but, uh, there were some other ones, uh, that we thought, you know, we, we could definitely take our shot at answering here. Uh, and we'll start with one from TriStar Buckeye who asked, uh, for the limited sample size you've seen, what do you think are the biggest strengths and weaknesses for Zach Harrison? And will 2021 be his breakout year? Otherwise, do you think we have anyone else on the roster who can step up to add some pressure from a defensive line standpoint other than Tyreek Smith and Haskell Garrett? Well, to answer the first question, I, I think clearly the strength of Zach Harrison is the fact that he's a physical freak. I mean, you know, he, he's, this is a guy who, you know, from a size and, and speed standpoint, he has rare ability in that regard. Uh, he, he, you know, he he's that's why he was a five-star recruit. That's why we're still talking about him as a guy who could potentially become that next superstar defensive end for Ohio State. You know, I think the weakness, and I think you had made this point before, Colin, and I think it's a good point with Zach Harrison, is I don't think we've really seen like that one thing that he really does really well yet as a football player. Like I think, you know, you could clearly see the physical ability and it flashes at times. Like I always think back to the play against Penn state last season where he tackled two guys in the backfield. Like he was Joey Bosa or, or Sam Hubbard. I mean, I, I think that was a glimpse kind of play right there of like, this is a guy who's really explosive and can definitely make big plays. But I think, you know, technically, you know, you think of, you know, the Bosa brothers, like they were so good because they were just so good with their hands. They're so good with their hips and their, their technique is just phenomenal. You know, a, a Chase Young, you know, he, he's, you know, as freaky as it gets physically, but his technique also really came along. I mean, by the time he's a junior year, you know, he, he, he was fantastic technically as well. And his jumping so I off think the ball. that he was on, he was unbelievable yeah. getting off the ball. Yeah. So I think that's where, you know, Zach really needs to make a big jump. If, if he's going to become that, if he's going to have that breakout year in 2021 and he's got the, the right defensive line coach to, to do it with in Larry Johnson, but I think he's really, you know, he, he's got to just become a better football player. Really. I think we know that he is a tremendous physical specimen, but I think he's really got to master the craft of playing that defensive end position. If he's going to start to really, uh, turn that physical potential into on-field production. And another guy who I think he's comparable with is like Javante Jean-Baptiste. I mean, those are two guys where I'm not really that com- – I don't know that I'm convinced Javante Jean-Baptiste is any worse of an athlete than Zach Harrison. He is a guy where you just look at him and it's eye-popping. Um, he's that kind of guy. Um, I don't know that they've done a great job translating that athleticism into production. And, like, that's the number one thing. It's It's – it's pretty basic. And, and Larry Johnson talks about his toolbox all the time. You got to have moves. You got to, you got to, you got to be able to pick things out of the toolbox and figure out when to use them. And, and, and you're right. That was what the, what made the Boses and Chase Young so special or one of the things that made them so special, at least many things made them special. But I don't think that we've seen that from either Zach Harrison or Javante Jean Baptiste yet. Now, the thing, the thing about them is like, because of that athleticism, like you ask, will 2021 be the breakout year? It could. I just don't know. Like you, you never know with guys like that when when exactly they're going to put it together. Yeah, there, there's just not that one guy right now 
that I'm going to say like, yeah, I expect this guy to be the next Chase Young next year. Cause I just don't, we haven't seen enough from anybody on the roster uh, to, to, to think that we're going to see that kind of jump from anybody next year. I mean, you guys know by now that I'm very high on Jack Sawyer, but Jack Sawyer is going to be a true freshman. So I'm not going to uh, predict anything too crazy for him as a freshman. I do think that he can make some sort of impact as a freshman, but you know, certainly uh, you know, I think you need, you, you really need is for these juniors and seniors to step up. And you know, you, you add, you asked Tyreek Smith in your question, TriStar Buckeye. I mean, to me, Tyreek Smith is in the same boat as these guys as another guy who's got to step up. I mean, I, I think he was okay last year, but I think we both agree on this, Colin, but I, I don't think we've seen, you know, the top 35 overall recruit kind of player in, in Tyreek Smith yet. I think he's another guy who you definitely want to see a big jump from here in 2021. Yeah, I mean, his thing is like he's, he, he's almost like Chase Young in that he's super explosive off the ball, um, and you can see – how much he wants to get around that edge. And he loves just trying to beat a guy around the edge. And that's great. I don't know that we've seen a ton from him in games that really matter beyond that. The other guy I would mention who's, who's not, you know, in this question that was asked was Zach Harrison, Tyree Smith, and Haskell Garrett. The other guy who I've mentioned, and, you know, we've talked a lot about over the years is Teron Benson. And, and, you know, I, it's hard to know exactly how healthy he was, how, how much of last year, I mean, it was a weird offseason in general, was just spent like getting back on the field and getting used to playing football. When he, you know, a couple of years ago, um, when, when he was healthy before he had his, his season-ending injury in 2019, like he was the kind of guy who I remember Jay Sean Cornell calling him a battering ram. You know, Larry Johnson pointing to him as the kind of guy who – might have that pass rushing acumen that he really wants from his three techniques. And if he's healthy, if he can have a full healthy off season, like this was a five-star recruit who's now in year four. Like, I think you can expect a, you can expect hope for whatever you want to say, a jump from Teron Vincent in, in 2021. Yeah. To me, I think the tough thing with Teron Vincent is the fact that it's his fourth year. And I feel like still the only thing we're saying about him is, well, he was a five-star recruit. You know, I feel like, Now's the time. And it's for all these guys, really. Now's the time. We got to see them put it on the field. But then again, you know, you, you mentioned Haskell Garrett. I have a question. We saw it with Devon Hamilton. We've seen it with these guys. Jonathan Cooper. We've seen, yeah, we've, we've absolutely seen guys at Ohio State make that fourth, fifth-year jump on the defensive line. So I think there's a lot of candidates to do that, to say that I feel extremely confident betting on any one of them individually – to make that big jump, I'm not there. But I think when you collectively, I mean, you talk about Tyreek Smith, Tyler Friday, Zach Harrison, Javante Jean-Baptiste, Teron Vincent, Jerron Cage, Antoine Jackson. That's a lot of veteran guys that if, you know, two or three of them can make a big jump and the others can be solid, you could have a pretty good defensive line next year. Next question from Ruben. All eyes are rightfully on the defense, but what do you make of the offense getting held to 24 points two games after Northwestern also held them in the 20s? Does it boil down to Trey Sermon's injury? Is there something that Ryan Day can take away from these postseason games where the offenses seem to stall? Yeah, I think, you know, you, you, you made the point after the national championship game where we disagreed on it, where I, you know, I thought the defense was the biggest problem and you, you thought the offense was the biggest problem. And I think, you know, Ruben kind of agrees with you there, but, yeah, I mean, they just were not going to win that game uh, by scoring only 
24. And, you know, and I think, you know, Kyle talked about this a little bit as well, but, you know, I, I do think like, I do think in regards to the Alabama game specifically, like, I think the fact that they only practiced one time before that game absolutely made a big impact on the fact that Ohio state did not look good on either side of a ball in that game. And I think honestly, it probably made more of an impact on the offense than it did on the defense, because I think the defense was probably going to be overmatched against that Alabama offense, no matter what. But I mean, Ohio state's offense just, I mean, you saw how explosive and dynamic that Ohio state offense looked against Clemson. It just wasn't there the same way against Alabama. So I, I think that, you know, had an impact on it. I think Trey Sermon's injury uh, absolutely uh, had an impact on it. But, you know, certainly it, it's something that they need to work on in the offseason. It's certainly you, you can't just say, well, we've had a highly ranked offense the last few years. Our offense is in good shape. They, they do need to work on the offense as well this offseason and making that better, especially because they're not going to have Justin Fields next year. So, you know, a lot of this is going to boil down to how good is the next quarterback, but they've also got to find ways to improve their offensive scheme so that when you don't have Justin Fields coming back and you don't have Trey Sermon back, that you're going to be able to continue to have a really explosive offense with the new guys that are coming in. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I haven't rewatched the game in four weeks now, and I just had to pull up the bot score to remember exactly what happened, um, <laughs> which is probably not great. So, yeah, I don't have any great insights on this, but if you look at it, I mean, I mean, yeah, you're not going to beat Alabama with Justin Fields completing 17 passes. That was evident well before the game was ever played. Um, and I do think the Trey Sermon injury had a lot to do with it because this team was, I mean, Kyle Jones, who we had on, like he talked about a lot, a lot during the season, even when there were questions about like, do you even have to run the ball to, for Ohio State to win, given their passing offense? Like he talked a lot about that this offense is predicated on, on the ability to, to play action pass. Um, and without Trey Sermon and with Master Teague in there, um, you can't really do that quite as well. Um, so, yeah. I, I think a lot of it does come down to um, not a lot of it, but I, I think that the Trey Sermon injury has a, has factored into it in a big way. And also like, I want to see how they distribute passes next year, because it's, it, it is interesting to me, even when you look at the national championship box score, like Chris Olave had eight receptions, um, Garrett Wilson had three, Jackson Smith and Jigba had two, everybody else had one. Like to me, there's a lot of talent on this offense, and 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 Chris Olave is great. Garrett Wilson's really good. To me, I I just think that they could have spread it around a little bit more. They could have been a little bit more creative. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's you know, I think that I think there I think that that he makes a good point though that there probably is a lot that that's worth delving into beyond just simply the defensive issues. Seattle Linga asked, "Can you shed some light into how a coaching staff?" feels about cam martinez grand lake selena or selena i i think i got that wrong first time uh followed up uh, on that question and said any info on all the freshman dbs with the exception of ransom since you know we've talked about life and ransom uh, a good amount already y you know the tough thing for us is it's like we've been around the program less in the past year than we typically would be too because i mean we haven't been at the woody hayes athletic center because uh, of COVID. So, you know, we haven't seen any practices. 
you know, we haven't really seen, you know, you know, since Cam Martinez arrived, I mean, really all we've seen of him was playing like a couple special team snaps or something. I mean, we haven't really seen him practice at all. So it's hard to say, you know, I mean, I, I think the big thing for those, you know, freshman defensive backs as a whole is I just think the fact that it was COVID and they didn't have those non-conference games. They didn't have those opportunities to get playing time over the course of a season, you know, was a setback in terms of those guys having a chance to really play as freshmen. Uh, certainly I think, you know, Leif and Ransom showed them enough that, you know, they felt confident uh, putting him out there more, but in terms of the other guys, you know, like legend Cavazos and Ryan Watts and, and Cam Martinez, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't read in too much to them not playing much last year. I wouldn't like panic about that. Cause I just think it was a weird year. I think it's unfortunate. Those guys didn't really get to play. Uh, but, you know, I think it's just something that they've got to overcome this year. Um, and, and, you know, that starts this spring with trying to get those guys as many reps as possible. And then, you know, certainly, you know, you look forward to the fall, you know, I, I I'd be surprised if any of those three that I just named are playing a ton at the start of a season, just because we haven't seen them play a lot, but certainly they're going to want to get those guys reps whenever they can to try to really get their development going. So that especially in the latter part of next season, if they need those guys to contribute, hopefully they're at a place where they feel like they can rely on them. It's funny though, the one guy who didn't play, you almost heard the most about, and that's Court Williams. And, and to me, I think that the preseason chatter about Court Williams is almost my number one takeaway um, about these defensive backs. And that's like, it felt like for a little bit, like Court Williams might be coming. Like we might be seeing a little bit of Court Williams. And right when that was sort of starting to heat up, he suffered an injury. Um, and I think that that's the unfortunate part for him is like, you don't know exactly how long that's going to keep him out. You don't know when he'll be able to hit the practice field again. But to me, he's the number one guy at what I'm thinking about those freshman defensive backs outside of Lathan Ransom. And, and it's all because like, it felt like for a moment, he might, we might be seeing a lot more court Williams, even at safety. When I think a lot of us, when he came in, thought that he might be more of a, more of a linebacker type. Um, so he's the number one guy I'd keep an eye on. I mean, Cam Martinez it's interesting. Like I, I went up to Cam Martinez's high school um, when he signed and like, he is, he is like the nicest dude in the world. Um, his parents are as well. Um, they were, they took it. Um, if you remember, like he didn't sign on in the early signing period, he held out for, you know, a month and a half to figure out if Ohio state was the right place. Um, and, and they really bought in eventually, but you know, he's the kind of guy who, you know, he was a quarterback in high school. He played a bunch of different positions in high school. So he's not the kind of guy who, in, when there's a pandemic and you're not able to, to train the way that you really want to, he's not really the guy who I would have expected to have a great freshman season. And that's where, to me, this offseason is huge for a guy like him. It really is because there's opportunities to play. We clearly saw that last season. It's not like you can lock any of these starters in stone. Um, but, I mean, we haven't seen anything for, on the field from him. And, and a lot of that's just because there weren't a lot of opportunities. I knew I had forgotten to name somebody, but I didn't really forget about Court Williams because the next question was from Bull 2012, Bull 1214, sorry. Does the bullet position still exist? And if so, who will actually play there? Well, you know, as I said before, I, 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 I've made it my resolution. I don't want to talk 
about the bullet this off season because we've talked about it for two off seasons in a row and it hasn't become a thing. So at this point, I'm of the mindset more of until it becomes a thing and it's something they actually talk about in the fall, uh, I'm going to say the bullet position really doesn't exist. But with that being said, I think if there's a guy you look at who could be that guy, to me, Court Williams is the first guy that comes to mind because as we had talked about, he was a guy who we weren't sure if he was going to be a linebacker or a safety. We haven't seen him play much yet, but you know, we had talked about it before, but you know, maybe uh, they look to maybe they have to look to do some more creative things on defense this year. Maybe because of everyone they're losing at linebacker, you know, they might not have a guy at that Sam linebacker position that they can trust in coverage as much as the guys they've played there the past couple of years. So I think that could open the door for a bullet type player or whatever you want to call it, you know, at that spot is kind of a hybrid safety linebacker, you know, and I think, you know, court Williams is a guy who immediately comes to mind. Now I think there's other guys too, you know, I mean, I think a Josh Proctor could play that role, you know, it, it right now he's probably in line to be the deep safety, but he's a guy who could play that role. And we saw him play somewhat of that role at, at times last season. You know, I look at a guy like a Ronnie Hickman as another guy who, who could be, you know, interesting in that role. But I think I'm looking at it more of, you know, guys who are safeties who, who could play in the box. You know, the, you know, I, you know, the, the, the bullet term, you know, that was kind of an in vogue term at first. And I, I don't really know that it, I think it was probably overhyped from the beginning, but I, I do think there's going to be packages where, you know, they could have an extra safety in there who's playing like a linebacker. And I think there's, you know, several guys like I just named who could potentially fit that mold. Listen, I know, as, as a proponent of in 2019 that the bullet doesn't exist, I must now say, I don't know if they're going to call it the bullet, but I would be shocked if what we thought was the bullet doesn't exist because yeah, I, I agree that. I mean, we've said it a number of times until we see them in spring and they're not doing it. I'm, going to be under the impression that would be in their best interest to do that. And that is, they got a lot of defensive backs. Like they got a lot of talent in the back end um, provided they develop it the way that, that Ohio state fans would hope uh, that that should be impactful players. They lose enough linebackers that there should be a bullet. I don't know who that bullet is. Like you said, Gore Williams, Ronnie Hickman, Marcus Hooker, Josh Proctor, all guys that I think could be that guy. Uh, but I don't, I don't know. I, I will work under the assumption that the bullet is dead in, in the fact that I don't think that I've even heard someone within the program say the word bullet in like a year and a half. <laughs> so I'm going to assume that they don't call it the bullet anymore. But what we once thought was the bullet, I think we're going to see more of than ever before, um, If as long as you're not counting Pete Warner as a bullet in 2019. Yeah, I think the bullet at first, it was kind of like a it sounded good for recruiting. And then when the first guy you had play that position, transferred out because he wasn't getting any playing time then it wasn't a very good recruiting tool anymore yeah that, that was that was unfortunate but hey now brendan white's trying to make in the nfl so have at it get another good segue here because speaking of transfers jester tcf asked does anyone transfer as i've said before i, I don't want to speculate on names about potential transfers but we can say this ryan day i asked him last week about how he was handling uh, the roster management 
in terms of the fact that, you know, right now, right now they actually do still have one open spot. Um, we know that they're holding that spot for uh, JT Tuomolowau, who is uh, not going to make his decision until April or May or sometime late this spring. Um, we're not sure right now if they're going to bring in anyone through the transfer portal. It seems like some of the smoke that was there a couple of weeks ago is kind of faded. So not really sure if that's going to happen, but um, you know, the one thing that Ryan day said was that he does anticipate that there will be some, he didn't say it directly, but he strongly suggested that he expects there are going to be some transfers this off season, whenever the NCAA does go ahead and pass the one-time transfer rule. Uh, I mean, honestly, I'm surprised that there hasn't been any transfers yet. Not including Well, yeah, I I meant since the end of the season. I meant since the the national championship game. Yeah, I mean, Mookie Mookie transferred in December, but I'm talking about since the end of the season. I honestly thought we would have seen a few by now, and we haven't seen any yet. Uh, Again, that could be because guys are waiting to see what happens this spring, you know, both in terms of at Ohio state and where they stand on the depth chart and in terms of whether uh, the rule is going to be passed, if they can go transfer immediately. But, you know, I, you know, I do think that there will be some transfers at some point down the line. Uh, How many, I don't know, but I mean, I would be surprised if, you know, everybody who's on the team now is still on the team in, in August. I think, most likely there's going to be at least a few guys who at at some point or another look and say, it would make more sense for me to try to go play elsewhere. I mean, we can make this real simple. If if the question is ever, does anyone transfer? It's year 2021. Like the answer is yes. (laughs) Someone transfers no matter what the year is. I mean, it doesn't matter who the head coach is. If they were to have, if they were to end this off season with no transfers, be the most stunning thing that has ever happened in Ohio state football history. Uh, yeah, they'll have transfers. That's just that's that's college football in 2021. It happens happens to every program, and I don't expect that they're going to lose CJ Stroud uh, after he wins the starting quarterback job or something like that. But but players transfer. It, it happens in football. It happens in basketball. It'll happen will happen in every sport. All right, last question because it seems like the last question is usually about food. What's your favorite cereal and why? I mean, my real answer is that I don't eat cereal. Um, how about you, Colin? But did you have a favorite cereal? Honestly, I've I've never been much of a cereal guy. Like I would, it, it's a boring answer, but I'd probably just go with Cheerios because I used to eat those a lot when I was plain I was Cheerios. A kid. Like a, a yeah, plain Cheerios, yeah, and like occasionally, crazy. occasionally I'll have those around and I'll like snack on them or something. But uh, I've never been like a a sit down and eat a bowl of cereal for breakfast kind of guy. It's just never really been my thing. I'm not a I'm not a big cereal guy right now, but like Rice Krispies, Lucky Charms, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, Honey Nut Cheerios are probably my Mount Rush Mount Rushmore. I, I haven't had them a lot recently, but when I was younger, those are those are my four. I think I, one one that I did like um, for a little bit when I was a kid. I don't even think they make it anymore but I think it's called waffle crisp. That was like just straight maple syrup flavored cereal. <laughs> that was pretty good. I thankfully stopped eating Lucky Charms before I could actually figure out what the stuff on the back of the box meant. So I never actually knew how bad it was exactly. <laughs> I just assume it wasn't great. 
Yeah, I was going to say Colin's cereals there were basically sugar, 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 and more sugar. I mean, Cinnamon Toast Crunch is, is unbelievable. So if you if, if you never had that, you, you were deprived of it. I've had it. I, I've, no, I've, I've, I have had it. I have had it. Um, you know, Colin knows me. I'm a big dessert guy. So I, I think I try not to start my day with just straight dessert. But, um, you know, that's not to say that I don't like sweet breakfast stuff. Like I like muffins and cinnamon rolls and stuff like that. Just, I don't know, cereal is just never really my thing. That's fair. That's fair. It's not my thing right now, but it was back in the day. So I appreciate the food question. We should always end on a food question. It makes, it makes, it makes well, things better. That's your cue right there. Make sure you submit your food questions. Uh, next week uh, we always do our best uh, to answer them so uh, please keep them coming football basketball food whatever you want to ask us uh, we always try to answer as many questions as we can here on real pod wednesdays uh, so we want to thank you all again uh, for listening in this week and we'll talk to you again next week